Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 25, which is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. My name is Ryan Christofel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vitici. How's it going, Federico? I'm good, Ryan. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. You know, I'm feeling a little like I'm not quite as important of a, you know, fellow podcast speaker oh, as on. as someone come else on. that you spoke to recently <laughs> on a podcast but I, i'll be okay I'll, I'll get over that um for those who don't know what i'm referring to federico for the second time in the last year <laughs> interviewed uh apple executive uh head of software craig federici on app stories this past week so if you have not heard that the interview is all about ipad os the Cursor support that was added in 13.4 and some other goodies. And uh, so if you care about this podcast, then you will definitely care about that one. So I'll have a link to the show notes. You should go check that out. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not Craig. I don't have nearly as good of hair as him. But you can be you can be the senior vice president of Adapt. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, okay. So, so are you the president and I'm the vice president? Is that no, we're works? both we're both vice presidents. Because oh, the okay, president, okay. The president is Mike Hurley and Stephen. Ah, uh, I course. see. They are uh, the co- presidents. co-presidents. <laughs> they are co-presidents. I guess that's how it works. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but yes, you can be you can be an, a senior vice president. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very thankful for the opportunity, of course, and it, you know, I'm so glad that we were able to make that happen, and I'm very. Uh, thankful to Craig and to Apple for, you know, especially during this weird time where everything needs to be done remotely. So I'm very glad that we were able to have that conversation. But back to the show, Ryan, because episode 25 is an important number, I guess. You know, it's a, uh, it's a quarter of a, of, a, of, of a century, 25, quarter of 100. It's an important number. It's a pretty number. And we thought, what better occasion than to do something special. And the idea was, actually, you brought up the idea to me, uh, and it's an idea that comes from uh, a recurring question that we get from Adapt listeners and, and readers of Mac Stories as well. How can I make my, uh, the iPad my primary computer? How I want to start using the iPad as my main computer, but I struggle with this aspect, or maybe I'm coming from a PC or I'm coming from a Mac. And I'm not sure how to approach this transition to the iPad as my only and primary computer. And I think since the beginning of this show, I mean, it's right there in the name, Adapt. Uh, we, we've been discussing and talking about the different ways that you can adapt your lifestyle and your workflow and just the way that you like to use a computer to the iPad, which of course is a different type of computer. It's a different type of device that has its quirks, has, it, has its advantages. And it's very different from a traditional computing environment. And uh, as we developed the idea, we thought this would be perfect for a mini series where we could go through we could go through some of the um, the, the key conversation points regarding iPad and iPadOS as your primary computing platform. And th- this is what we're gonna do over the next few, few weeks. And of course. Um, we're probably going to pause this mini-series if we're not done for WWDC because we want to discuss WWDC. But you can expect a few episodes from us about this, about, the, about the, this idea of how can you approach the iPad and start using it as your primary computer. What are some of the drawbacks? What are some of the best practices? What are some of the key concepts of iOS and some of, the, of iPadOS that you need to learn? And what are some of the apps that maybe you can use or some of the accessories that we recommend? Basically, the whole spectrum of using the iPad as your primary computer. Yeah, I think when we started this show, obviously part of our hope is that people would learn from the things that we talked about how the iPad could better work for them. But we we didn't really start at the beginning ever of, oh, if you aren't using the iPad as your main computer, if you haven't used an iPad much at all, then what should you do? You know, for both of us, we've been doing this for years now. I mean, I'm at five years with the iPad as my main computer. I think you're, what, like eight or nine, somewhere around there. You and I have been doing this for years now, and so many of our listeners haven't been. And many of them, they may be, you know, listening to the show, interested in the possibility of using the iPad as the main computer, but they don't necessarily know where to start. And so we thought it'd be great to do this miniseries as sort of a primer of 
how to use the iPad as your main computer. So we're going to talk about a variety of things related to that. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about which iPad might be best for you, because there's a lot of options there. Uh, but then in the future, we'll get into different apps, uh, some of the concepts and you know challenges for working from the iPad versus you know other operating systems you might be used to, such as macOS or Windows. And uh, so we've got a lot of fun things planned. I think it'll be a, an informative series and a fun series. And uh, no better time to do it than leading up to WWDC and whatever Apple has prepared for the iPad there. Yeah, yeah. So let's just get started with the discussion on choosing the iPad that's right for you. And in putting together uh, notes for this episode and doing my research for this first episode, I actually... Uh, noticed that more iPads exist than I remembered in the current lineup. And specifically, uh, specifically, I'm referring to the, we're going to talk about that later, but the 7th gen uh, base model iPad. I had completely forgotten about. Uh, but that still exists, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I feel like when we talk about using the iPad as your primary computer, an obvious place to start is the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro is the, if you will, the, the ultimate uh, iPad model for those who want to um, use the full, uh, the full range of options that the iPad offers, whether you want to use it as a tablet or you want to use it in laptop mode, or if you want to pair it with USB accessories, um, the iPad Pro is the iPad model that can do it all. Now, of course, the iPad Pro is the only one that supports the new Magic Keyboard, um, which is available for the 2018 and 2020 iPad Pro line and is the only one that has a USB-C port. So if you want to connect uh, accessories, whether they are uh, external drives or um, keyboards even, uh, the USB-C port is exclusive to the iPad Pro line because all other iPads still have a Lightning port. Now, the iPad Pro, of course, comes in two sizes, 11-inch and 12.9-inches. And personally, as I guess more people know, I do use the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. I use the big iPad Pro because I just love the bigger screen and I love the fact that I can see the biggest possible version of iPadOS that I can currently have on the platform. I mentioned many times before that if Apple were to make an even bigger iPad Pro, I would purchase it. I would totally buy a 15-inch, 16-inch iPad Pro and use it as my desk iPad uh, because I really love the idea of having a big window into iPadOS and being able to have split view uh, going on with multiple apps at the same time and have large windows for each of those apps. Um, now, I, I, I want to ask Ryan a few questions about the, the two sizes of iPad Pro because obviously he's the expert here. But before we do that, some things to keep in mind when comparing the 11-inch iPad Pro to the 12.9-inch counterpart. Um, obviously, split view, which is the ability to use two apps at the same time, is supported on both iPads. But on the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, split view always uses the full-size layout, the regular layout for apps. This means that with the exception of Safari, uh, which we talked about in the, in, the, in, in the previous episode of Adapt, when you use Split View on an 11-inch iPad Pro, when you put two apps side by side, those apps tend to switch back to the compact layout. Uh, this means that, for example, uh, toolbars may become uh, top bars at the bottom of the screen, and UI elements will be rearranged, and it's very possible that the standard layout of, of a full-screen iPad app will become something similar to the iPhone layout because the screen, of course, if you're using Split View, is narrower and you have uh, you know, uh, less space available horizontally. On the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, on the other hand, apps always use the regular uh, layout, uh, layout meaning the size class, which is the, how Apple uh, talks about these things, uh, stays in the in the regular mode. So a good way to think about this is um, again you look at Safari. Uh, I mean, no, Safari is an exception because it keeps the regular layout on the on the 11-inch iPad Pro. 
but other apps um, will not show you, for example, a bottom toolbar. They will keep showing you a toolbar at the top of the screen, uh, and in general, it's more consistent um, when you use Split View on the bigger iPad Pro. Another feature that, that is exclusive to the 12.9-inch is the three-column layout. So a three-column layout is something that we've seen first from Apple and eventually from third-party developers as well. But apps such as Notes and Mail, made by Apple, only support a three-column layout only on the big iPad Pro. The three-column layout allows you to see at the same time, for example, in Notes, uh, a first sidebar with all your Notes folders, uh, a column in the middle with the list of your Notes in, in a selected folder, and on the right side of the screen, a bigger column with the content of your notes. So this feature, and again, Mail also supports this, and other uh, third-party apps also support this. But this feature, when it comes to Apple's own apps, is exclusive to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And lastly, you want to consider, I guess, if, you're, if you want to get an iPad Pro and you're not sure, should I get the 11-inch or the 12.9-inch? So aside from the software side of this, uh, split view and three column layouts. There's just the the question of are you going to use this iPad primarily on your desk or do you want to use this iPad as a tablet that you want to hold in your hands? And I feel like um, the of course the 11 inch is is more comfortable to use as a tablet just because the of the smaller footprint. It's a it's it's closer to a tablet in the sense of the device that you can hold in your hands. Then the 12.9 inch, which is a you know this larger slab of glass that can be a little uncomfortable to hold and use as a tablet. Um, and there's also the question of is portability and weight um, something that you need to consider when purchasing a new iPad Pro? For example, are you a frequent traveler? Are you the I mean, not right now, of course, because during a pandemic, I don't know how many people are traveling, especially on planes. But if you are the type of person who travels frequently and flies a lot. I could make the case for the 11-inch iPad Pro being easier and more comfortable to use on a tray table, for example. Whereas in the past, I've had issues with using the iPad Pro uh, while sitting in a 12.9-inch model while sitting in an airplane seat. Um, so all these things are, are differences that you, that you should consider. But of course, I want to I wanna hear from Ryan, who's the expert of the multi-pad lifestyle having recently published a story all about this yeah well we talked about this extensively last time and i did uh, publish a story last week on mac stories it's linked in our show notes basically uh, you know going through some of the things we talked about on the show and going in a little more depth in certain areas and then eventually explaining at the end of the story that i have decided to stick with the 12.9 inch ipad pro as my personal device moving forward. But I was surprised by the fact that that decision was made not so much because I feel like it's definitely the better iPad for me, but more because I already had it. And so, you mm -hmm. know, when it comes to, am I going to keep the 12.9 inch that I already have that I paid for two years ago, or am I going to buy this brand new 2020 11 inch iPad Pro? You know, it, it was a relatively easy decision from a price standpoint. But if I were brand new to the iPad Pro and trying to decide right now which to go with, it's a really tough decision because both devices work so well, both as, you know, desk devices where you're using it, you know, on a desk or where you're using them as laptops with a keyboard attached. And then even as a tablet, I've shared, I, I definitely feel like the 11 inch is a much better tablet. But the 12.9 inch can work as a tablet. It's okay. Yeah. You can you can find ways to make it work. In fact, one of my favorite ways that I've I've started using it um, since I got the Magic Keyboard is, and I might have mentioned this last time, but I will take it off the Magic Keyboard, turn the Magic Keyboard around, and then since the the top part of that case is so sturdy, I will lean the iPad Pro against the back of the Magic Keyboard to keep it standing up in front of me. And that actually works really nicely. So I don't have to hold it necessarily. I can just kind of prop it up right there and that works well. So there's a lot to consider. I definitely recommend reading that article if you haven't yet, if, if you're trying to you know, sort out which device is better for you. 
Um, because depending on what you're doing, you know, some of these factors like split view or three column layouts may make more or less of a difference to you. Yeah. Um, as I shared, this, the split view thing really wasn't a problem for me, which I was especially surprised by that because I just don't like how it looks on the 12.9 inch iPad Pro when I have two apps next to each other that are also showing, for example, a sidebar menu. Um, because then you've really got four columns on screen. You've got you know two different sidebar menus, one for each app, and then the main kind of content area in each app. And for me, that just looks cluttered. And so I actually really enjoyed how on the 11-inch you couldn't do that because um, it only showed kind of one column at a time, essentially. And that worked well for me. But depending on your needs, that may not be the case. And so there is a lot to consider, but at the end of the day, I think both are just really great devices and both can work really well uh, no matter what you're doing with them. As I shared last time, I was surprised by how easy it was for me to switch between the devices. And you know, at one point I was using the 11 inch for a while and I, for some reason, thought I was using the 12.9 inch. I just adapted to it so much that it didn't really make a difference. So they're both nice, which kind of makes the decision harder in some ways. Yeah. Um, and, and my general advice is if you plan to use the iPad as a tablet pretty regularly, um, then I would lean toward the 11 inch. But if you mainly are going to use it in kind of laptop mode, then the 12.9 inch, I think, gets an edge. But uh, you really can't go wrong either way. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it also you also need to consider what type of iPad user you are or maybe you're going to be. And by this, I mean, what kind of tasks do you think you will be performing on the iPad? Um, and do you think you will be the kind of person who will use split view a lot? Or is your line of work, um, you know, that, does it require you that you use multiple apps at the same time? Or, uh, for instance, are you a writer? And if so, are you fine with using a single app full screen at a time, you know, are, are you, do you need to use split view or uh, do you think you'll be fine just using a full screen app and then maybe using slide over to bring in a secondary app or multiple secondary apps just when you need them? Because if so, then maybe, uh, you know, even the 11 inch iPad Pro used at a desk with a magic keyboard or with the smart keyboard folio uh, could be an option if you think you're just going to be using a single full screen app at a time. So uh, try to consider, uh, in addition to the physical aspect and whether you're going to use it as a tablet or at a desk. Also, how am I going to use the, you know, the software, the uh, the iPadOS software, and what do I want out of multitasking? Now, let's talk about some other um, storage options and price. Now, when it comes to price, the difference between the 11-inch and the 12.9-inch iPad Pro models is there's basically always a $200 difference between them, regardless of whether you want to get, you know, regardless of storage options and whether you want to get the Wi-Fi or the Wi-Fi and cellular models, there's always a $200 gap between the small iPad Pro and the big iPad Pro. And both models, and this is an exclusive feature to the iPad Pro line, they go all the way up to one terabyte of local storage. So, you can get a one terabyte iPad Pro. You cannot get a one terabyte, for example, iPad Air. Uh, this is exclusive to the iPad Pro line. And now you can go take a look at the, you know, I, I don't want to list all the possible price and combinations here, but uh, basically the 11 inch iPad Pro starts at $799 for the 128 gigabyte Wi Fi only version. And I guess that the discussion here, Ryan, something that we should point out, I think, is. And this applies actually to all iPad models. Uh, it's not exclusive to the, to the iPad Pro discussion. Should you get a Wi-Fi-only iPad or a Wi-Fi plus cellular iPad? For as long as I can remember, um, I've always used a Wi-Fi plus cellular iPad. And that's because I figured years ago, if I want to use the iPad as my primary computer, if I want to use it as my main and maybe even only computer, I should be able to take advantage of the iPad's greatest feature, which is the ability to use it anywhere. I don't have to be home to use an iPad. 
because I can, you know, it's not a it's not a desktop workstation, so it does not require a constant source of power, and it does not require to be at a desk. I can hold it and use it on my lap or hold it in my hands. But also, that sense of freedom comes from the fact that I don't have to be on Wi-Fi if I want to use an iPad. I can just pop in a SIM card and use it, a, you know, as an iPhone out and about. I can use it in my car. I can use it at the park. I can use it at my parents' house because I don't want to connect to their extremely poor Wi-Fi network. Uh, I can always use an iPad because it's got a cellular option. So years ago, I figured... If I want to go all in on iPad, I might as well just be sure that I have a fallback option for connecting to the internet when I'm not at home. And so I always suggest to folks who come to me and say, I want to use the iPad as my main computer. Um, do you think I should get Wi-Fi only or the Wi-Fi and cellular version? And my first question is always, do you plan on using this iPad only at home or do you foresee a scenario where, because it's your primary computer, you're going to take this computer with you all the time? And if so, I always recommend that people get the cellular version as well. Now, you could argue that it's not necessary because maybe you can use, maybe you have a, 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 a good data plan on your iPhone and you can use personal hotspot to tether your iPad to your iPhone. And that is true. But in my experience, I, I don't know about you, Ryan, but personal hotspot has always been so buggy for me. Like in keeping the connection active between the iPhone and the iPad, it's not as reliable as I would like it to be. And over time, I realized, you know, for those times when maybe I forgot to renew my data plan on the iPad, or if maybe like I, at some point, I think my, my SIM card was not compatible with a newer iPad model. Uh, but anyway, I had to, te to tether to the iPhone and use personal hotspot. And it just was so unreliable because the iPad kept disconnecting from the iPhone. And every time I, I needed to go into settings on my iPhone and reset personal hotspot. And it, I just preferred the fact that I can just get the iPad out of my bag. And it's uh, instantly, you know, it's always connected to 4G. And I can just pick it up and use it. Yeah, I use a cellular iPad as well, but I didn't used to. And it really had to do with what you laid out about kind of your, your lifestyle. Are you mainly going to use this iPad at home or are you going to use it on the go regularly? Because if you use it from home, I mean, you could get a cellular, especially like if you have kind of spotty internet at home. If your internet goes out somewhat regularly, then that might be a good reason to get cellular. But aside from that, if you're not going to be taking it with you regularly, then I don't know that it's worth it. Um, for me... I used to live in a suburban area where, you know, I had a car and drove around everywhere and I didn't so much carry my iPad with me a lot of places, uh, certainly not places that didn't have Wi-Fi already. Um, and so back then I didn't feel a need to have the cellular. Um, now I live in New York City. Uh, I don't have a car. I walk places and it feels so much more convenient and and easy to just kind of walk down the street and go to a coffee shop or walk to a park and work from there and so because of that and kind of the the lifestyle that that I have now that's a little bit different from what it used to be uh, the cellular model is a lot more important um, hotspot is okay but as you said it is unreliable and even if it works nine times out of ten like that 10th time can really be a pain, especially if you're in a scenario where you've really got to get some work done and you can't do it without a connection. Um, you know, even if it's just one out of 10 times that it gives you trouble, that that time can be really, really uh, inconvenient to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the exclusive features uh, that you can only get with the iPad Pro line for both models, of course. The Magic Keyboard, obviously the new Magic Keyboard case, it is exclusive to the iPad Pro line and it supports both the 2018 and 2020 iPad Pro models. The Smart Keyboard Folio, so this is basically the Smart Keyboard, but the Folio version is exclusive to the iPad Pros. Uh, again, uh, there's a version uh, for the 2020 iPad Pro and it's uh, backwards compatible um, with the uh, with the 2018 iPad Pros as well, 
and the second generation Apple Pencil, uh, the one with the flat side that can uh, charge and pair magnetically with the iPad Pro, is also exclusive to the iPad Pro line. Again, both 2018 and 2020 versions. Um, the iPad Pro line um, is also the only one without a physical home button. So the iPad Pros have the same gestural user interface of the iPhone X. You have a virtual home indicator and you control the iPad Pro, the iPadOS UI entirely via touch. There's no physical home button. There's no touch ID. There's face ID. Uh, and again, all these features are exclusive to the iPad Pros. The I don't know how many people care about this, but I just need to mention it for the sake of, uh, you know, uh, for the sake of being having a full overview here. Uh, the 2020 iPad Pros have the ultra wide camera, although it's not as ultra wide as on the iPhone 11. Uh, it's it's uh, it's less wide you could call it, uh, but it's still ultra wide. And there's also a 12 megapixel wide camera. So the standard camera is 12 megapixels. As we'll see later in other iPad models, it's not as good a camera. Uh, the four speaker system is exclusive to the iPad Pro. Now, you may think this is not a big deal, but in practice, I can totally tell the difference between listening to podcasts or music on my iPad Pro and listening to an older iPad model that has a two speaker system. Having four speakers really does make a difference, especially when you're listening to music. Like this iPad, the iPad Pro can get loud if you're listening to music. And of course, it's no replacement for an external speaker or like a HomePod, but it's still, you know, it's pretty good and so much better uh, than, say, laptop speakers, especially old laptop speakers before the 16 inch MacBook Pro. Um, there's an A12Z chip in the 2020 models, although the A12X uh, system on a chip from the 2018 iPad Pro still per perfectly fine and gets the job done, even if you're using um, resource-intensive uh, apps like, uh, say, LumaFusion for video editing or Photoshop, or if you have a shortcut that is comprised of thousands of actions, uh, the A12X and A12Z handle that just seamlessly. Um, as I mentioned, the iPad Pros are the only ones that go up to one terabyte of local storage, and they also go all the way to six gigs of RAM. Now, there's a difference here between the 2018 iPad Pro line and the new 2020 iPad Pros. The 2020 iPad Pros, which just came out a month ago, they all have six gigabytes of RAM. In the older generation of the current line, the 2018 iPad Pros, only the one terabyte models had six gigs of RAM. The other, mo the other models had four gigabytes of RAM. And lastly, the iPad Pro line is the, uh, these are the only iPads that offer a ProMotion display. So a higher refresh rate that goes all the way up to 120 Hertz. Um, you may think this is not a big deal, but I can totally tell the difference between using an, an iPad Pro, a 2018 iPad Pro even, and any other iPad that does not have a promotion display. The, the UI is just so much more fluid and smooth on the, on the iPad Pro. So if that's something you care about, uh, it's something worth keeping in mind, that promotion, it is exclusive to the iPad Pro family. Now, we should talk about the iPad Air and the base model iPad because uh, these are also good iPads, um, with an asterisk for the base model iPad, which I want to talk about in a few minutes. The iPad Air is a really interesting iPad. Even if you're the kind of person who thinks, well, I want to use the iPad as my, as my main computer and I don't have the budget for an iPad Pro, I think you could be perfectly fine using the iPad Air because it's, it is a very good iPad at a very good price. So. The iPad Air, a good way to think about it is this. This is the old 10.5-inch iPad Pro that came out in 2017 that's been rebranded as the iPad Air. So uh, this is an iPad that has a home button, so Touch ID, no Face ID, but offers support for the first-generation Apple Pencil, so the one with the lightning port that plugs into the iPad if you want to pair it and recharge it, has support for the smart keyboard, 
but not the smart keyboard folio. And now also has support for the new Logitech combo. Uh, it's called what's the name? Combo Touch, uh, which is a keyboard case with a trackpad that Logitech made for the iPad Air. Touch ID, so as I mentioned, no Face ID, no USB-C as a Lightning port. There's an A12 chip in this iPad, so a really, really uh, good and relatively modern system on a chip. It goes all the way up to, a, to 256 gigs of storage. It starts at 64, unlike the base model iPad, which starts at 32 gigs. And you can buy an iPad Air. So, 10.5-inch display, Touch ID, Lightning port, A12 chip, support for the first-generation Apple Pencil, support for the smart keyboard, support for the new Logitech Combo Touch uh, keyboard case that has a built-in trackpad for iPadOS 13.4. You can get the 64-gig model at $499. So, less than $500, you can get an iPad that supports all of this. That Basically, this used to be the iPad Pro three years ago. And I think it's a pretty good deal, honestly. Like, if you don't care... So, we talked about the gestural interface and Face ID and the, you know, the Magic Keyboard and the ProMotion display and the 6 gigs of RAM. But this is... I, I think this is still... The iPad Air is a, is a very... is a very good iPad that is totally... It's totally possible to use it as your primary computer if you don't have those kinds of requirements that we talked about before. Like, what if you don't care about connecting an, ex an external USB drive to an iPad? Um, this one has a lightning port. Maybe you don't care about that, and it's fine. Um, you can still... I mean, of course, there's no support for the Magic Keyboard, but I feel like the Logitech Combo case is a pretty good alternative to that. And of course, you can always pair a Magic Trackpad if you want to use the, the new pointer in iPadOS as an A12 chip, which means this iPad will likely be updated to, new, to the new versions of iPadOS in the future for years to come. And at that price point, I mean, you can get the 256 gigs model Wi-Fi and cellular at, se at uh, $700 and uh, $779. So it's a very good deal. And I think this is the iPad that I would recommend to a lot of people who say, I want to use the iPad as my main computer, but I don't want to spend $1,000, and I don't care about the latest and greatest features. Uh, this is the iPad that I would recommend, honestly. Yeah, I feel like this iPad, if you, if you don't care that much about having the latest greatest, then this will get the job done for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, certainly, if you, if you think you need that really large display of the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, then there's really no other option for you in the iPad line. But if the display isn't necessarily going to be an issue for you, then power-wise and capability-wise, the iPad Air is great. It'll, it'll get done what you need it to do at a much lower cost. And so it really just depends on how much value you put on some of the modern features of the iPad Pro line. And they're pretty great, to be honest. Like, I am an iPad Pro user. Uh, I love Face ID. I love the kind of thinner bezels all around with no home button. I love the second gen Apple Pencil, which can magnetically attach and charge on the iPad. Like those are things you don't get with the iPad Air. But if those things aren't really a big deal to you, then absolutely go for the iPad Air. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, and and of course, uh, you know the A12 is, uh, again is a, is a modern uh, system on a chip and you can take advantage of all the, you know, you can update an iPad Air to iPadOS 13.4 just fine and use the new pointer and you for sure will get iPadOS 14 and likely even iPadOS 15 next year with this iPad. Now, um, the base model iPad or the seventh generation iPad, this one is a bit of a nod device that I had totally forgotten about, honestly. Um, the iPad is a as a 10.2-inch display. I had completely forgotten about the display size change because the base model iPad for years used to be the 9.7-inch iPad. And it turns out that it was last year, I believe, 2019, that Apple updated it to a 10.2-inches um, display. 
So no USB-C, like the iPad Air, it supports the first-generation Apple Pencil, supports the smart keyboard, not the smart keyboard folio, but the standard smart keyboard, um, goes up to 128 gigs of storage. However, the big drawback of this base model iPad is that it comes with an A10 system on a chip. So this is a CPU from three years ago, from at least a couple of years ago. Um, of course, it's the cheapest uh, non-mini iPad you can get. Uh, $429, uh, $429 for the base model uh, with 128 gigs of storage. Actually, the uh, the base model is 329 so it's just the the larger 128 gig storage model oh. that's 429 oh yeah i didn't co- i didn't consider that because 32 gigs don't get a 32 gig ipad would be my suggestion because you you're going to fill up that storage very quickly uh i hadn't i hadn't included it in my notes because i think that's a that is not a i mean it's a good deal price wise but it's uh i would have recommended it if it were, uh, what's that again? Three twenty nine. Yeah, yes. Uh, that would have been a great deal with sixty four gigs of storage. Thirty two gigs of storage is a very difficult recommendation for me to make because I mean the system alone is gonna occupy four gigs of that, so you're gonna have what twenty eight, twenty nine gigs of storage available, and you download a few games, you download a bunch of a couple of movies, and you're done basically. So um, I really struggle to recommend this iPad. Um, and, and I mean, this iPad, of course, is designed for education. This is why Apple has this iPad. This is an iPad that student, students can use where you cannot download you know, movies from Netflix for offline usage. You cannot download games from the App Store and Apple Arcade. This is an iPad that you're going to use in the classroom where you can have the Apple Pencil, where you can use the smart keyboard, and it's totally fine for that. But as your main computer, where you're likely going to want to download music and movies and games and a bunch of apps, it's, it's a difficult sell. And you, can also, you also need to keep in mind that, this, that the base model iPad lacks a lot of features um, compared to the iPad Air, for example. So you're not going to have white color. So... Forget about that, uh, you know, rich color reproduction that you can get on the iPad Air and the iPad Pro uh, thanks to DisplayP3 support for, you know, a wider color gamut. You're not going to have a laminated display. You're not going to have the anti-reflective coating. You're not going to have True Tone. And you're not going to have the Neural Engine. The Neural Engine means that a lot of the um, AI, like machine learning-based features, that you can get like in photos or in Siri, uh, and just the general performance of this iPad will not be as good as the iPad Air with the A12 chip or the iPad Pro line with the A12X or A12Z uh, chips. So this is an iPad for education. I, I mean, I get it. It's it's mo- much more affordable um, than other iPads, but I really struggle to recommend this iPad as the the model you could get as your primary computer. I agree. I I for I don't know, maybe there are examples of people's work where it sure. could be okay, but for most people, I, I definitely would recommend an iPad Air or higher. Um, you know, if you happen to have a somewhat recent iPad lying around and you're trying to consider, oh hey, will the the iPad work for me as a primary computer? You could certainly use a standard iPad for a little while and maybe connect it to a Bluetooth keyboard and just see how it goes. See if you enjoy using iPadOS as your primary operating system. And so it can be kind of informative in that sense. But, you know, I wouldn't buy one and, uh, you know, to try it out. And then um, but if you have one lying around, then it could maybe inform whether you should invest in an iPad Air or an iPad Pro to kind of go all in on this iPad lifestyle. Yeah. Um, there's also the iPad Mini, <laughs> which, uh, of course, came uh, came back, uh, what was that, last year? Or maybe the end of... I think it was last year. Um, now, the iPad Mini, of course, at seven, it's a 7-inch iPad. Very difficult to recommend as your primary computer. That's not to say, however that you cannot use an iPad mini for work-related tasks. In fact, we have this 
excellent story uh, from our friend and colleague, uh, John Voorhees, that he published on Mac Stories uh, in April when we did the anniversary series for the iPad's 10th um, anniversary. John uses an, uh, the iPad mini as this really fascinating mix of an entertainment device and a work device, uh, where he, he managed to come up with this hybrid setup where the iPad mini can be used for games and reading articles and reading books, but also to get really focused on, say, text uh, and, and editing and writing stories in a, in a very focused environment where you are highly discouraged from using split view because it's such a small display. Uh, so go check out that story from John. Really fascinating story. It's because of that article that to this day, Every couple of days, I go to the Apple store and I'm like, I'm going to buy an iPad mini. I'm really still on the fence because the iPad mini is a fascinating device. I would not recommend the iPad mini as your primary iPad, although for the sake of context, I got to say, I've done it before. <laughs> Years ago in 2013, the iPad mini was my primary iPad. Um, I worked on it for well over a year and it was the only computer that I used. And that was before the smart keyboard, that was before the Apple Pencil, I used an iPad mini with a software keyboard as my only computer to run Mac stories uh, from, I think, during all of 2013 until I, until I upgraded to the iPad Air in 2014. So it can totally be done. And as always, you can use anything as your primary computer. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You can use the base model iPad, you can use the iPad mini as your primary computer if you really want to. But here, of course, we're just, you know, we need to give you an overview and we need to consider all the possible scenarios. It's hard to come up with an objective conclusion. Uh, in fact, I don't think it's what we are after in this mini series, but we want to give you the, 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 the broadest possible overview and give you as many examples. Uh, you know, when it comes to the decision you're going to make about using the iPad as your computer. So the iPad mini, uh, no support for the smart keyboard, but you can use an Apple Pencil. So really fascinating uh, scenario here where you, I could see, for example, folks who may be working construction, right? And, and you, you, you know, you, you don't spend time at a desk. I could see folks, and I don't know, architects, for example, just, you know, walking around on location with an iPad mini and a pencil, because maybe you need to annotate, uh, you know, documents and, and um, you know, technical drawings, um, sketches. Uh, it's a very fascinating um, tablet plus pencil combo, the iPad mini and the Apple pencil. Um, I guess the, the best way to think of the iPad mini is... Um, it's this ultra portable option if you want something bigger than a phone, bigger than an iPhone, but much smaller than an iPad Pro. And it's also worth pointing out how the iPad mini, the latest version, has an A12 system on a chip, so just like the iPad Air, very modern CPU, white color, true tone, and the highest possible display resolution of any iPad at uh, 326 pixels per inch. So, very dense and bright and beautiful display, of course, does not have a Face ID as a, you know, the old uh, hardware design with the home button and touch ID. The iPad mini is a, is a fascinating iPad, Ryan, I'll tell you that. It's a very fascinating iPad. Right now, I would not recommend it as your primary computer, but I think it's got its own niche. I love the iPad mini. I mean, I I used one for years and it's so so ultra portable. I, I used to, so I, I used to own a leather jacket and the iPad mini would actually fit in the pocket oh, yeah. on the inside <laughs> of the jacket. Yeah. And so I could just carry it everywhere. It was great. And thumb typing on that thing is so nice. It's just a really, really fascinating device. I, I'm excited that Apple you know, has a relatively modern version of it out. I do wish that they would do like a, a even more modern Face ID yeah, version in the future. That would be I, incredible. It would be very hard to resist. Um, but yeah, like you said, there are certain use cases where depending on your work, it, it may be a good fit for you. It, it's a great tablet for sure. So 
having gone through the list of all iPads, um, I think the most important, um, one of the most important factors to keep in mind if you're in the market for an iPad and you want to transition from a Mac or PC, think about how much you want to future-proof your setup. And by future-proofing, I mean making an investment today in an iPad, in a computer that will last you a few years. My recommendation as always, if you are really serious about using your iPad as your primary and only computer is save a bit of money now and go for the more expensive option, whether that means more storage or cellular, depending on your needs, because you're not going to regret that later. Uh, I've, I've heard from so many people who tell me, um, in hindsight, I wish I did not buy the Wi-Fi-only iPad, or I wish I went for more storage when I could. Because you want to get an iPad that can last you a couple of years, that can scale along with your needs. And sure, you could always sell your iPad and get a new one mid-cycle. But I mean, let's face it, it's always a hassle to, you know, having to sell your computer and buy a new one uh, just because you're not happy with your configuration. So, you know, maybe save for a cellular iPad or save for the, you know, more local storage, especially now that you can, uh, that you can actually use local storage in the files app on, on your iPad. I think, uh, and w we used to make this argument for, you know, for, for Macs, you know, years ago. Uh, it, it's a very common approach um, amongst Mac, Mac users to say, if you can save money and get more RAM or get a better CPU because you're never going to regret having purchased more RAM. And I agree with that. And the iPad version of that is get an iPad that has a relatively modern system on a chip. So if you plan on using the iPad as your, as your main computer, do not get the base model iPad with the A10 chip because that's very likely not going to support, say, I don't know, iPadOS 16 maybe, right? In, in three years. And also consider saving money for having the cellular option available and more storage because you never know when you're going to need that. Another thing to keep in mind is the accessories that you want to use. There's so many accessory options that span the entire line. And, you know, we mentioned that the iPad mini doesn't have a smart keyboard option. It's the only one that doesn't. But even with that, you can attach a Bluetooth keyboard if you'd like. You can get the non-iPad Magic Keyboard, just the standard Magic Keyboard that works with Macs and iPads. You can connect that over Bluetooth and it works great. Um, so there's a lot of options, Smart Keyboard Folio, Magic Keyboard, there's Bridge Keyboards, uh, a lot of other things to consider with that. What, what would you recommend as far as you know, people thinking about the accessories they're going to choose? Hmm. So I feel like, of course, if you're an iPad Pro user, you need to consider the Magic Keyboard. I mean, that's the, that's the elephant in the room, right? It's the, it's the best accessory for typing. Uh, and, and controlling the iPadOS UI with a trackpad. But it's an expensive one. It's, it's not cheap. So uh, the, if you're an iPad Pro user, if you have the 2018 or 2012 or, or 2020 iPad Pro, think about the Magic Keyboard. The Smart Keyboard Folio and the Smart Keyboard are also very good keyboards. They have the advantage of having that fabric texture and, and fabric cover that allows you to freely spill drinks and, and crumbs on the Magic Keyboard without fearing that it'll break on you, uh, which definitely came in handy uh, with me in the past. Now I'm trying to be super careful with the Magic Keyboard because it's not covered uh, like the Smart Keyboard is. There's also the question of Bluetooth keyboards because the iPad platform does give you a lot of freedom in terms of what kind of typing experience do you want to have. You can use any Bluetooth keyboard with your iPad. You can use a mechanical keyboard. You can use uh, the old standalone Magic Keyboard from Apple. You can use a USB keyboard, or you can use a keyboard case combo, like the Logitech one that we, that we mentioned before. Or, of course, there's the Bridge keyboard. Although, right now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the Bridge uh, Pro Plus keyboard with a trackpad, because I've, I've found their trackpad implementation to be very much inferior to the Magic Keyboard, unfortunately. But you have plenty of options for Bluetooth keyboards. You can go on Amazon, search for Bluetooth keyboard, and 
you will find hundreds of potential uh, candidates. One personal favorite of mine is the Logitech MX keyboard. This is a full-size desktop keyboard that has the advantage of supporting multiple device connections at the same time. So you can pair this keyboard with up to three computers simultaneously, and you have a button to switch between them. So with I have this keyboard for those times when I want to use my Mac Mini, I press a button and I use the keyboard with my Mac Mini. And when I want to use it with the iPad, because maybe I'm using the iPad at my desk connected to an external display, I can press another. I can press the same button and switch the connection, and I will use the keyboard with my iPad instead. So, my recommendation would be: think about again. Think about the scenarios in which you're going to use the iPad. Uh, you think you're going to be a, the type of user who's going to use the iPad uh, on the, you know, as a laptop. Uh, maybe you know, the Magic Keyboard is what you're after. Or if you're thinking, well, maybe I'm going to use the iPad as a tablet uh, when I'm not at my desk. But otherwise, I'm always going to be I'm always going to be writing with the iPad at my desk. And in that case, maybe you don't want the Magic Keyboard because maybe you want to have um, like a, a Bluetooth, an external Bluetooth keyboard, and maybe you want to combine that with a, with a stand. Uh, vertical stands are really interesting right now. Uh, especially now that all the Magic Keyboard is also a factor to consider. We've been talking about these um, uh, vertical stands and the ergonomics of using uh, a vertical stand with the iPad Pro uh, with mic unconnected. Um, for years, I used... Uh, so before, I, I used to um, use my iPad Pro with an external Magic Keyboard, so the old standalone Magic Keyboard, and the iPad in a vertical stand. So I used to use the called the uh, Viozone stand, and eventually I upgraded to the uh, clear look vertical stand. But now that the Magic Keyboard has come out, uh, Mike has been using this new vertical stand. It's basically a laptop stand that's built like a tank. It's like made of metal, and it's super heavy and stable. It's called the new Laxi stand. Uh, there's going to be links in the, show notes where, in the show notes where you can find all of these um, accessories on Amazon. But there's also another laptop stand called the Roost laptop stand that is also that is actually very portable. You can fold this stand and put it in your in your bag and you know take it anywhere. So the idea being that with the Magic Keyboard, you can use the iPad as a laptop, or you can detach the iPad uh, from the Magic Keyboard and use it as a tablet, or you can actually use the iPad. Put the iPad with the Magic Keyboard on a laptop stand and connect an external keyboard and use that while looking at the iPad's display, you know, in front of your in front of your eyes because you're using a, a, a stand. So really, a lot of fascinating options here when it comes to combining different keyboards and different setups with your iPad Pro. And I would also add that if you're planning to use the iPad with a stand, whether you're going with a traditional vertical stand like the Viazon or the Clear Look, or if you want to have a combination of the Magic Keyboard and a stand, I would also consider having a standalone pointing device because you can use a Magic Trackpad or a Magic Mouse, for example, from Apple, and you can control the iPadOS UI with that. And in fact, with the Magic Trackpad and the Magic Mouse, you will get access to multi-touch gestures. Those are really convenient. If you want to navigate uh, multitasking and, and take advantage of three finger and four finger swipes to move and cycle between apps. But you can also use uh, any other um, Bluetooth mouse uh, with your iPad and, and integrate that with the native pointer in iPadOS 13.4. Once again, my recommendation goes to the Logitech MX um, Master mouse. I have the version 3. Uh, this is a very customizable um, mouse that has like a bunch of um, customi programmable buttons that you can actually program in the iPadOS settings. Uh, and you can come up with your own combinations of like, I want to press a button to like, I don't know, run a shortcut or go back home or open control center, all while taking advantage of the native pointer. So once again, the, the greatest uh, aspect of using the iPad is this free, this modularity. That you can that you can apply to your uh, setup. So even if you even if you're planning to use the Magic Keyboard, you can still take a look at stands 
and external pointing devices for those times where maybe for ergonomic reasons, you don't want to stare down at the iPad's display at a desk, but you want to elevate the iPad's display so that you can sit, you know, upright and have a better, uh, have a better, um, you know, maybe it's better for your back. And, and I'm one of those people, you know, I cannot stare down at the display for like six hours. Otherwise, my neck is going to kill me. So, uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of options here. Uh, there's a lot to think about, especially when it comes to combining uh, the the iPad with different accessories, but also when it comes to picking the iPad that's right for you. And I really, I mean, this overview was was useful to me because I hadn't actually taken a look at the at the tech specs and comparison page on Apple.com in a while. So it was useful to me to to get reacquainted with the iPad lineup and take a look at uh, price points and and the differences between models. And I hope that it's useful to to our listeners when when picking the iPad that they want to use as their primary computer. Um, so yeah, uh, in this first episode, we we covered all the possible hardware options. I think the plan right now is for the next installment of this mini series is to go over the software, of course, iPadOS and the key concepts of iPadOS, some of the drawbacks and challenges and 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 problems of iPadOS, but also what it means to adapt to the iPad and use it as your main computer coming from macOS and what are some of the differences and some of the misconceptions and some of the uh, challenges when transitioning from the macOS environment to iPadOS. So that should be fun. Yeah, and we still today, even though we've gone a bit long, we need to cover my challenge as much as I'd like to kind of avoid having the shortcuts master grade my shortcuts challenge um let me thank our sponsor and then we will do that Uh, this episode is brought to you by pingdom from solar winds while you've been listening to this podcast how would you know if your website had gone down would you know if customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your content you might stumble across the problem by luck but that's no good you need a system you need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your site and more importantly, when it's not. You need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages every day. Pingdom helps keep your sites in the sites you love online. Doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about any critical website issues. They'll let you customize how you're alerted, depending on the severity of an outage, plus they'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. And Pingdom has a no-fuss approach to getting started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code ADAPT at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM and use the code ADAPT for 30% off your first invoice after a 14-day free trial. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, Federico, you challenged me last time to create a shortcut that fixes a problem I have on my iPad and to do that without using your help. Um, now, have I, have I asked you for help over the last two weeks? I can confirm he has not asked for any help. Okay. So I have a few things to share briefly. Um, <laughs> it's funny because the, the shortcut that I had in mind that I wanted to create for this challenge was I wanted to create something that would help me merge PDFs into single documents uh, very easily So there's apps that will let you merge PDFs, but I really wanted just a streamlined process where I could go into the Files app, uh, select the PDFs that I wanted to merge, and then using the share extension, uh, run a shortcut that automatically merged those PDFs and save the file wherever I wanted it. And I assumed this might be challenging. (laughs) It, It turns out it's extremely easy in shortcuts. Um, so the shortcut that I created has two actions. Uh, the first action is make PDF. Okay. And so what it does is it takes the input 
for the shortcut, which in this case, like I said, I'm running this through the share sheet via shortcuts, you know, action extensions, uh, the various uh, actions from shortcuts that can populate the share sheet. And, uh, and so all I have to do is select those PDFs and then hit the share button, hit merge PDFs, which is the name of my shortcut. And then it runs the shortcut. So it takes those PDFs, it makes them into a single PDF with that first shortcut action. And then the second action is save file. And then I choose where in iCloud Drive I want to save it. I really thought this would be more challenging. Um, it's it's really, really easy. And so um, that felt like it was kind of cheating the spirit of the challenge because it was so easy. Um, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And that's great. And so I, I considered briefly just stopping there, but I didn't think that would be very fair. So. Um, I actually tried working on a couple of other shortcuts as well. One of them regards uh, saving quotes from Apple Books into specific Apple Notes. Um, I read a lot in Apple Books, and depending on the books uh, that I'm reading, usually not with fiction, but sometimes, uh, but with nonfiction, I may save uh, different excerpts from those books into Apple Notes. And so what I did is I took a couple of different uh, shortcuts that would streamline this process and made my own version um, kind of adapted from them. And, you know, the main issue with the standard like copy paste method, just copying text out of Apple Note or app, out of books and into a note is uh, that Apple Books, the app, uh, adds all this extra formatting. Apple Books, the app, adds all this extra formatting where you know, it'll say the author of the book, it'll say kind of some copyright information and all that. And I don't really want, you know, a million copies of that for all the quotes that I save. And so I took a couple of shortcuts. One is the append to note shortcut that you created that's in the Mac Story shortcut archive. Uh, I took that as a base. And then I also took a shortcut I found from Matthew Casanelli that he shared on Twitter called clean up books quote, which removes that extra formatting. And so Pulling these two shortcuts together, I modified them a little bit for exactly what I wanted, what I needed, and I made a shortcut that uh, will save anything that's on the clipboard directly into a specific note mm. and removing all that extra formatting. Nice. And so what I do is when I'm reading, I will, if I'm on my iPhone, I can swipe back and forth to shortcuts very easily, tap the one button, and it takes care of, you know, pulling that quote that I had saved to my clipboard in books, pulling it into the exact note that I wanted in, and fixing the formatting. Um, if I'm reading on my iPad, I've been keeping shortcuts in slide over, and so I've got it, you know, right there on the side. I pull it over, I tap the button, it takes care of everything. It's extremely fast. If you're saving a lot of quotes, really nice. So, I'll have uh, links in the show notes to both the append to note shortcut that Federico created and the cleanup books quote one that uh, Matthew Casanelli created. There's really not a lot of work that needs to be done as far as adapting it. Uh, the main thing I did was choose which um, specific note I wanted it to go in and then tweak some things. Uh, so I may share my original shortcut as well. But, but that solved a problem area that I was struggling with. Uh, and then the third shortcut, which... I I tried to create and actually failed with was um, I I really enjoy the music box shortcut that you created that is this fantastic way to interact with Apple Music uh, via a shortcut in a variety of you know extremely complex ways. Uh, it's amazing what you can do with this one shortcut. Um, but I one of my favorite features of the shortcut is that it enables you to play an Apple Music playlist backwards. So starting at the last song in the playlist and then proceeding back from there to the first song. Mm -hmm. um, I have a playlist where I like to share new songs that I discovered that are singles that I don't really want to add to my library, but I would like to have in this one playlist that I call Discovered. And uh, the problem with that playlist is that it gets really long and if you start it at the beginning, which is the only standard way to do it, um, you are listening to the same songs over and over and not listening to those new ones. And there's not, unfortunately, a native sort option in Apple Music to where you could just change the sorting of the playlist itself. 
so that it starts with the latest song and then you know goes down to the the oldest song at the end. Yeah. And so you built this feature into MusicBot actually at my request and uh really happy with it. Um but I tried to take the um that little part of MusicBot that does this because MusicBot has so many actions in it. Um I tried to take what was in there specifically related to playing this playlist backwards so that I could just have a single tap shortcut that would do this rather than you know, going through the different steps of interacting with the menus in MusicBot. So I tried to create a playlist that would, or a shortcut that would just, when I tap it, all it would do is it would start playing this specific playlist from the end to the beginning. And I couldn't get it to work. Um, I, I didn't, you know, talk to you about this because I wasn't allowed to get your help at all. But it, it's having some issues with the the different actions related to counting. And uh, yeah, I, I tried really hard to get it to work but i couldn't and so you know i feel like this challenge was uh, a couple of successes but they kind of felt cheap because they were so easy (laughs) and then the one thing that really kind of should have been easy because it was just pulling out some of the actions from an existing shortcut that you built and adapting them to what i wanted uh, i couldn't get it to work so i feel like i kind of failed even though i did come away with two shortcuts that i'm really happy with (laughs) No, I think you did a very good job. This was the the uh, the essence of the challenge was to find um, problems that you kept running into and fixing them. So even though that Apple Music thing did not work, I think you did you completed the challenge successfully by identifying two problems and making shortcuts for them. And as I always say, it doesn't matter whether a shortcut as like a, is a single action shortcut or like in this case a two action shortcut if it fixes a problem for you that still is to be considered a success that is how automation whether it's simple or complex can help you and uh, i think it's also very fascinating how you were able to um, mix and match two different shortcuts uh and and come come up with something completely you know that is greater than the sum of the of the parts, if you if you will. Uh, the appending to Apple Notes and cleaning up uh, uh, quotes copied from Apple Books. So that was a that was a really really good idea. So yeah, well done, well done. Okay, well thank you. Um, so since we are embarking on this new mini series, and as this first episode demonstrated, uh, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we may be taking a break from challenges for the time being because what we're instead focused on is the greater challenge for our listeners of how they could use the iPad as their primary computer. Um, so I'm not going to give you a challenge this next time. Maybe, you know, mm. in the next episode, depending on how things go, I'll, I'll think of something that I want you to work on. But uh, we're, we really want to focus on helping our listeners better understand what the iPad could do for them as a primary computer and the challenges associated with that, the rewards associated with that and everything. So I'm going to hold off on a challenge. You can just kind of enjoy a little bit of a break. It's almost summer. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate uh, it. (laughs) Sure thing. All right. Well, this has been episode 25 of Adapt. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Pingdom from SolarWinds. If you'd like to find show notes for today, you can visit our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 25. And if you want to follow us online, Federico is on Instagram and Twitter as at Vitici, that's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can find me on Twitter as at I-Ryan, T-L-D-R, that's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And both of us are writing at macstories.net. Until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.